Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. Good morning. Um, have you uh, have you ever bought anything like off of Facebook and you had, or excuse me, off of Amazon and you had this hope? Maybe Facebook too. I don't know. It's kind of be about the same. But uh, off Amazon and you had like this great hope that uh, it was going to be something, and then like you got it and it wasn't exactly what you had expected that it was going to be, uh, right? Like, ladies, uh, have you ever bought the charcoal mask and it just didn't <laughs> quite fit when it showed up? Um, maybe you're like excited about this super cool chair to go with your furniture, and when it came, it wasn't the right size um, there. Um, or you had this, you saw like a picture of this pillowcase for your kid, and you're like, oh, I can totally see them sleeping on that. And you open the box, and there's your pillowcase, right? Uh, <laughs> with someone else's kid already sleeping on it. Um, <laughs> Or your girlfriend goes away to college, and you're like, I want, it, I want her to remember me, so I'm going to get a pillow with my face on it, and this shows up, uh, right? Like, <laughs> whoops, <laughs> um, right? Or you ordered new shoes, your new shoes, and the, and the right shoes came, but it was the left shoes, right? It was only the left. Uh, that doesn't work. And my all-time favorite, the mug that when you put hot water in it, the color changes. You open the box to drink your first drink, and that is what shows up. So, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like uh, sometimes you get what you were hoping for, sometimes not so much. Uh, and so beware when you order on Amazon. I think that's the uh, the moral of that story. And so, uh, you know, moments like that, they're, they're funny. And, uh, you know, we can laugh at those. Uh, but then there, there's other moments, too, that are similar uh, in that way. But, but the irony, right, the humor is lost in the weight of the moment. You know, things like, I thought I had more time, but I don't, right? Um, uh, you had hoped to get another chance, but you didn't right? Uh, you thought this, this new job was going to solve all of your problems and all of your challenges. It's going to be great. And then you show up and you realize, oh, there's actually problems that come with this new job too, right? See, what happens is Genesis 3 actually describes a moment um, just like that. It's a pivotal moment when two people have these great expectations, this great hope for a decision that they're making, and yet the outplay of that is vastly different than what they expected. Actually, it turned out bad. It turned out really bad. Uh, so bad that we are still dealing with the effects uh, of that today. And so, uh, as, as Pastor Matt mentioned, we are in a series called Throwback right now, where what we're doing is we're actually journeying through the Old Testament, uh, different passages, to see the person of Christ in the Old Testament. Uh, because if you remember from Luke chapter 24, we talked about last week, Jesus made the statement very clearly, saying, all of the scriptures find their fulfillment, they point to me. 
And so if you haven't already, go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 3. That's the, the very first book in the entire Bible, and you can go there. And, and while you're going there, um, I, I also want to welcome you to Lighthouse Community. I want to give a, a special welcome to our online campus, and so glad all of you are joining us. And then shout out to our, our Bluffton Community location that's meeting there as well. Hey, by the way, uh, so last week was Resurrection Sunday. Uh, Bluffton Community launched like the second week of February, uh, so it's only been you know maybe eight weeks tops. Uh, but did you know last Sunday uh, they had uh, like 110 people at their Easter service? Is that awesome? <laughs> yeah, man, we're so excited what God's doing down there. And then uh, welcome to all of you who are with us today. And I wanted to share with you, if you hadn't heard yet, um, last Sunday uh, at, at, through our services, we know of five people who said yes to Jesus Christ last week. So isn't that a great stuff? Like God is using you. Yes. Yes. And so we're really excited about that. Um, and we're just diving right here into Genesis chapter three. And so what we really want to do is uh, I want all of us to be able to learn how to read the Bible in a way that we can see Jesus Christ, right? Because here, here's the reality. The Bible is really only truly understood in light of Jesus Christ, right? His life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his lordship, all of that. And, and so we're going to be looking at that. Um, if you'll remember that uh, theologian J.I. Packer made this statement is that Jesus Christ is the key to understanding the Bible. And if you remove him as the focal point, right, as the focal point of scripture, what ends up happening is we reduce the Bible to, uh, to a book, like a moral code, uh, to a book of ethics, and it's just kind of stories that maybe we can glean uh, some, some practical value from, but it, but it lowers the value of what the scriptures actually are. And so we want to understand scripture rightly, and in doing so, we're looking for Christ uh, in all of the scriptures. So what I want to do this morning is I want to walk all of us through this process of learning how to biblically discover Christ in the Old Testament. And so uh, if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to uh, kind of grab, grab these four movements that I'm going to share with you real quick, and then we're actually going to do it uh, in real time together. But the four movements that we should go through to rightly see Jesus in the Old Testament is, is first you, you begin by reading the passage Right? You just simply read the passage and you discover what God was teaching or revealing in that real time, right? in that context. So you just start with reading the passage and what was God teaching in real time in that context. The second thing we're going to do is we're going to ask the question, does the New Testament make any clear statements about this passage or teaching from the Old Testament. Does the New Testament make any clear statement about this passage or this teaching from the Old Testament? That's the second thing we're going to do. Then the third thing we're going to do is we're going to ask a question, how is Christ present in this Old Testament passage? How is Christ present in this Old Testament passage? And then lastly, we'll begin to work through 
why, why is this important and, and how am I going to respond to this? How am I going to work through this and respond to this in my own personal life? And so we're going to begin with reading the passage to discover what God was teaching and revealing through this moment in Genesis chapter 3. Now I think it's very important to start off with this understanding is that Genesis chapter 3, right? Uh, right Genesis is a real account. You have to know that it is a real account. And so this is not like a legend. This is not a myth. This is not like a story that somehow symbolically represents all of us at a larger level, but it didn't actually happen. Um, This is a real moment. Actually, in the New Testament, when Jesus was asked about divorce uh, by some of the religious leaders, he referred back to Genesis as an actual account a real moment, history, right? Not metaphorical, right? He was pointing back to it as a legitimate moment. And and this is really important when you're reading through the Old Testament to recognize that this is historical account. It's not allegory, okay? It's not allegory. Now, maybe, maybe some of you are going, I don't even know what an allegory is. Is it related to an alligator? You know, I'm not entirely sure. So, so listen, um, so an allegory is simply a story in which everything in that story represents another deeper hidden truth. And you kind of have to read into the story to be able to understand what that hidden truth is. That's what an allegory is. And so uh, some of the more famous allegories you might have heard of are like uh, Paul Bunyan's uh, you know, Pilgrim's Progress, which is the story of a man named Christian, okay, who is on his journey to the celestial city. Okay? So you, if you're making connections already, okay, I can see how that's you know, an allegory. Uh, another well-known allegory is uh, Life of Pi. And so you've got, uh, if you're not familiar with it, you've got a kid in a boat, and underneath a tarp is a tiger that's hidden there. He doesn't really realize it, and then realizes it, and he tries to get away from the tiger uh, in the boat, and then they end up having this, you know, really meaningful friendship out of that. Um, And if you know the background of the author, you know that it's an allegory that speaks to our situation, that we don't realize that God is there, um, and then when we do we tend to try to get away from him until we realize that he's the deepest fulfillment of any need we've ever had. And, and we lean into that and have this remarkable friendship with him, right? And so those are examples of allegory. A, a story, right? A story made up of fictional characters and situations that represent a larger, deeper, hidden truth, okay? That's allegory. The Old Testament is not that. Genesis 3 is not that, okay? This is historical account of God's real actions in his creation, okay? Real actions of real people in real time in order to reveal God's character and his plan of rescue, okay? That's what the Old Testament is. And so with that understanding, let's jump in and look at this historical account of Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food 
and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was also with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and your dust and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall, shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. The man called wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin, clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And so what's happening here is we're reading this passage, right? This account, the question we're asking is what, what is God teaching us? What is he revealing to us in real time and in this moment? And so let's think about this context. So in Genesis chapter one, if you're not familiar with it, God shows us, right? He, he created all of the universe by simply speaking it into existence. Out of nothing, God created everything, right? That's Genesis 1. Then in Genesis chapter 2, God shows the great detail and the great care that he put into creating his masterpiece, right? Us, humanity, right? And, and so the only thing about this, this is the only aspect of all of creation that actually carries his image, right? No one else does. And he created us with care and he created us with purpose. And that purpose is to know him, the purpose is to love him, is to rely on him. And you actually see in Genesis 1 and 2 that part of our purpose is to steward, right? Or to give leadership to creation as God's representative, okay? That's Genesis 1 and 2. So then you pick up here in Genesis 3. And so what happens when you think about the context of this, Genesis 1, God shows us where creation came from, where everything came from, him, then in Genesis 2, God creates where, or excuse me, God reveals where we 
come from, which is from him, right? And then in Genesis chapter 3, God is now showing us where and how sin began. It was with us, right? You see what's happening here in just these first three chapters. See, the first human sin was right here in the Garden of Eden. And when you begin to realize that what God is doing is he's revealing where and how sin began, we can discover some really key things about sin. The first thing is this, we can actually give sin a definition. All right, we can actually discover what sin is. Because sometimes when we talk about sin, it's just this nebulous word out here that means like bad, right? Uh, or wrong, or evil. But when you look in Genesis 3, you actually begin to discover what sin is. When you look at the story in this account, you see that sin is actually, sin is choosing to make decisions independent of God's leadership in our lives. That's the essence of sin. Sin is choosing to make decisions independent of God's leadership in our lives. See, what God had done is he had given Adam and Eve a guideline. If you want to call it a law and you want to use that language, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But he gives them a guideline, he gives them a law, and that's this. Eat, eat fruit from any of the trees that you see, except one. Any other tree, enjoy, except one. And Adam and Eve made a decision independent of God's leadership in their lives, right? That's what happens here, okay? And so when you begin to understand sin this way, you actually begin to understand and see why it is that we're separated from God. You begin to understand actually how underhanded and how broad sin really is, you know, yes, sin is breaking the rules, okay? That is true, right? Hurting one another, lying, murdering, adultery, uh, you know, opposing, uh, oppressing one another. Um, all kinds of manifestations come out from breaking the rules. And yes, sin fits that. And yet it's deeper than that. You have to see that it's deeper than that because sin always begins with the decision to resist God's leadership in our lives. That's actually where sin begins. That's the starting place. And then it manifests itself out in all kinds of ways. But independence from God is the core level. And, and as I shared before, Adam and Eve, they're created with a purpose. Actually, if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, it's right there in verses uh, 27 and 28. They're given the purpose of leading over all creation as God's representative, right? Because we're made in his image. And what we're supposed to do, what Adam and Eve were supposed to do, was they were supposed to care for creation by leading creation under God's leadership, Okay? That's actually what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to care for creation by leading creation under God's leadership, okay? And what you have to notice, what happens in Genesis chapter 3, what happens in Genesis chapter 3, instead of leading creation underneath God's creation, Adam and Eve make the decision to actually submit to creation's leadership. Do you, do you, do you see that? Do you say, what the, instead of submitting to God's leadership and leading creation in that way, they actually submitted to creation's leadership instead. That's what's happened right here in Genesis chapter 3. They actually followed the voice. They followed the suggestion 
of someone other than God. Now, it's, it's a serpent in the story, but clearly when you begin to look throughout Scripture that this, this is Satan, right? Satan is coming and speaking a different perspective, speaking uh, something different to them, different leadership, and Adam and Eve choose to follow that instead of God's. And that's one of the things, right, in verse 17, when God says, because you listened to someone else's voice and not mine, this is how this plays out now, Right? And so what is happening? We see sin's beginning and we see sin, this outside intruder, right? This invader enters into God's creation and we begin to see the beginning of sin. So when we look at Genesis 3, we can give sin a really clear definition. Another truth that God reveals from Genesis chapter 3 is this, is that sin's con- sin has qu- consequences that we can't fix, that's another truth that, that's really clear out of here. Sin has consequences that we can't fix. So Adam and Eve, they make the decision independent of God. Their eyes were open. They knew they were naked. They felt shame. They felt fear, right? A little bit later, God pronounced uh, all the ways that sin would play out in creation with the serpent, with Eve, with Adam, all of those things. And so what happens is Adam and Eve enter into this decision with great hope, They've got this great expectation. Oh, man, this is so good. We're going to eat this fruit. It's going to be awesome. There's all these wonderful things happening going on. And actually, it ended up not playing out the way they had expected at all, right? They, they placed an order, and what came was not what was advertised and what they had expected, right? They had this deep hope of gaining wisdom, from eating the fruit. They had this deep hope of becoming like God after eating the fruit, but it ended up not playing that way at all. Instead, they were filled with shame. They were filled with fear. They had the consequences of being separated from God. That's the nature of sin, by the way. You have to know that. Sin always overpromises, and then it always underdelivers. Yeah, you have to know that. That's how sin works. It always overpromises on the front end, and then when it's time to deliver, it always underdelivers throughout all of that. And so it'll say things, do, you know, do this and you'll feel better. Take control, and then you'll really be able to get your way. Find escape through this moment or this experience. And, and for a moment, there's this exhilaration, right? You're kind of like, wow, this is, this is wow, hey, this is meeting my, like it is scratching my itch, baby. This is right where I want to be. But it's so temporary, It's so temporary, and you end up right back where you started, a little worse off, because now you have all this additional shame and guilt weighing down on you, right? Because you got duped. You fell for it. And it's like, oh, man, I can't believe it happened again, right? It's always over-promises and under-delivers. And as much as we may want to, we can't fix the eternal consequences of our sin. Can't do it. We don't have the ability. Now, we can do temporary cover-ups. We can do that, right? But it actually doesn't solve the, the heart of the issue. It doesn't solve separation from God. It doesn't solve the fact that our identity has been changed because of sin. You know, we can do stuff on the outside to try to, like, make it not seem as bad, but it doesn't solve the real issue. That's what Adam and Eve tried to do, Right? See, their eyes were open. They felt the shame. They felt the fear. And then they tried to fix it. 
right? So we can fix this. We can make it better. What they do in verse 7, right? Genesis 3, verse 7. Like, I think we can fix this. I don't know who came up with it. It sounds like an Adam idea. But they're like, I think we can fix this. Grab some leaves, all right? <laughs> yes, we've just eternally changed the future of everybody who else is going to come, and our relationship with God is drastically changed. But grab some leaves. I think we can do it, right? It's like Genesis 3 version of duct tape. Like, that's, what, that's what's happening here. And so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves, And so it might have covered their nakedness, but it didn't solve their shame. It didn't solve their fear. It didn't solve their separation from God. Now, what happens at the moment that you pluck a leaf off of a branch? It begins to die. The moment you do that, it begins to die. I find it absolutely amazing that the very thing that Adam and Eve chose to cover their nakedness actually is an exact one-to-one representation of what they themselves were going through. Humanity had been plucked from God and now was experiencing immediate and impending death the exact same way those fig leaves were. That amazes me of what's going on there. And every effort to solve sin on our own is a fig leaf. Trying to be successful in our own eyes or in the eyes of others, it's short-sighted. Trying to earn back God's favor through keeping some religious system or some code will crumble to dust. Escaping the real sense of shame and guilt through addiction or through some kind of hobby, it only distracts from the real problem, right? There's nothing we can do to solve the consequences of sin on our own. That's really clear out of Genesis 3. Now, if we stopped there, right, we would all need to go, like, do something to feel better or whatever, because, like, it's like the weight of this is really heavy. But thankfully, even in Genesis 3, this moment of great failure, right, this moment where we see separation beginning because of a decision to, to, to lead life without God, God doesn't leave us there. Right here in Genesis 3, the third thing we can see really clear that God is teaching us is that God gave grace, and you have to understand what grace is. Now, this, this grace is not, the, like, it's not the prayer you say before a meal, okay? Uh, this grace uh, is not the same as a dancer who like, moves like water on stage, and you're like, wow, how, how do they do that? The grace that God gave is the kind of grace when you receive something that you don't deserve, it's a kind of grace where you receive something that you didn't earn. You can't pay for it. The kind of grace that God showed in Genesis 3 is the kind of grace that's humbling. It's actually even a little bit embarrassing, right? That's the kind of grace that God shows. It's the, it's the grace that leaves you speechless and you're not even really sure how to respond. 
when Christina and I were young and we just started uh, pastoring our first church, um, the home we, were, we, we owned, we were living in, our AC unit just went kaput, right? Um, the condenser just failed, uh, you know, traumatically. And so, and our windows were like these narrow vertical windows, so you couldn't put in like a window unit, like a, like a normal window. And so our just choice was to broil and cook to death, right, through the summertime. Um, and so like getting S estimates on it, it was like thousands of dollars to replace uh, this condenser unit to our home. And if you, you might not know this, but when you're young and you're first starting out in ministry, you don't have access to thousands and thousands of dollars to replace your AC unit. And so um, if I also remember right, that was the year uh, when God gave Satan control over the temperature for that summer. Um, and so uh, we tried to figure out every way we could to not be home, right? <laughs> like if I could have slept over at the mall, uh, I would have done that. Um, but I'll never forget, uh, one day we went to our small group, and, and we were like, for some reason, we happened to be the last ones to show up, and they're all like, smi- they got those weird grins, you know, even walked in on something like that, like, the, we know something, you don't know, uh, and so we walk in there, and, and pretty quickly, they like bring out this gigantic box, and it's all wrapped up, and so, you know, we open up this box, and, and lo and behold, in this big box was this air conditioner on wheels that was designed for narrow vertical windows um, that our group had gone in together and bought this thing. And it was like not cheap in any way whatsoever. Um, And I'm just sitting there like my hands on my head going, I don't, I don't even know what to do. Right? I was, I'm mean, Christina. We're just floored, right? Here, here are our friends. We we didn't ask me. We weren't expecting. Hey, listen, we were camping out at the mall. Everything's fine. Uh, you know, all is good. But on their own, right? They got together. They made a plan. They threw in together and they purchased this this massive gift. And and it was humbling. And it was even embarrassing. And it was good. That's grace. Right? It's receiving something you didn't earn. It's receiving something as a gift. It's receiving something, right? You can't pay back. Even if we had tried to, our friends would be like, get out of here. You know, we're not even doing that. That's that's what that's a little that's like this microscopic level of what God is doing here in Genesis chapter three, right? By the way, that's one of the reasons we talk about groups so often here at Lighthouse Community, because I'm not saying you're going to get an air conditioner this summer, okay? Don't like, Fritz said, if I sign up, everybody gets a free AC. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. But what happens is, is, we, is we love one another, and we encourage one another, and we're present in the lives of one another. And so it's one of the reasons we really encourage people to join groups. You have no God, you have no idea how God is going to use your life in the lives of others when you start connecting them in that kind of way. And so, you know, as Matt and, and John shared earlier, man, uh, if you haven't signed up for a group yet, I, jump in on that. Um, it's awesome. But in Genesis 3, we see here God gave grace. It's, it's very subtle. It's very subtle in the way that God gave this grace in Genesis 3. Uh, that actually, if you're not looking for it, you might miss it, okay? But once you see it, you'll never be able to unsee it, Okay? See, what happens in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, it says that God made garments of skin to clothe Adam and Eve. Excuse me, to clothe Adam and Eve. Now, what you and I might not understand is that word skin in the Hebrew, the literal translation is this, hide. God made garments of hide, okay? Now, you only get 
It's not talking about hide like go, you know, conceal yourself. It's talking about the hide of an animal. God made garments of hide, basically from an animal. And so what God is doing here, right here in Genesis 3.21, God allowed a substitute to take the penalty for Adam and Eve's sin. Okay, he allowed a substitute to die in their place. And so literally, God made the first sacrifice for sin himself. Okay? And he gives these garments to Adam and Eve. And, and yes, they're going to last way longer than the fig leaf, right? And so they're, more, they're, they're a more lasting covering, but they also do serve this purpose. They're a lasting reminder. This is what sin costs. Sin costs life. Sin costs blood. It's not cheap, right? It's actually very destructive. And so what is God teaching us in Genesis chapter 3? He's teaching us this, is that we all suffer from separation from God because of our own desire for independence. Our own desire to lead our lives on our own, independent from him, refusing to live the life that we were created to live. And God teaches us that we can't solve our own sin. But... He can. Do you see that? See, God's revealed truth to Adam. He's revealed truth to Eve. He's revealed truth to us us as we look back in this moment. So the next question is, we're looking for Christ, is does the New Testament have anything to say about Genesis 3 or about Adam? And the answer is yes. There are all kinds of references in New Testament to Genesis chapter 3. Some are very overt, very blatant. Others, not as much, but you can see the connection very clearly. But one of the clearest you can find is actually found in Romans chapter 5. And uh, I'd like to read just a couple of passages to you and walk through this very quickly with the few minutes that we have left, and it's this. Uh, Starting in verse 12, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the uh, judgment of following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free, righteous, free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous." And so what Paul is doing here is he's doing a compare and contrast, right? He's comparing and contrasting Adam against Christ. And he's saying it was through Adam that sin and death entered and then spread to all of us. And that's why all of us are separated from God. We begin there. But I love that right here in the passages in verse 15. But, but 
The free gift is not like the trespass. Death came through Adam, but forgiveness and new life comes through Christ. And so Jesus Christ died on the cross in our place for our sin so that we could live and we could have a healthy relationship with God on his terms. That's what the New Testament has to say on that. So we go to this next question. So, so how is Christ present then in Genesis chapter three? Well, he's, he's present in multiple ways. First, where Adam failed, Jesus was victorious. Where Adam sinned, Jesus was without sin. Where Adam submitted to creation, Jesus rules over creation. Where Adam submitted to Satan's temptation, Jesus resisted Satan's temptation. Where Adam chose independence from God, Jesus continually chose to rely on God for absolutely everything. Where Adam failed to solve sin on his own, Jesus is the final solution for all sin of all time. Where, where Adam needed garments to cover him, Jesus is the one who provides new garments of new life. And where Adam needed a substitute, Jesus stepped in as our substitute. Right? So, what, so what Paul is saying here, what the scriptures are saying here, is that Jesus is the better Adam. Jesus accomplished what Adam could not accomplish. Jesus accomplished what I can't accomplish. Jesus accomplished what you can't accomplish. That's what's going on here. And because he did, we can actually enter back into a right relationship with God and we can know him and we can love him and we can rely on him and we can enjoy him for all of eternity. And you actually see clear glimpses of Jesus in Genesis 3.15, right? He's the one who's going to be struck on the heel, but he's going to be the one who crushes Satan's head, finally. Jesus is, is present in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, when God made the first sacrifice, a garments of hide to cover their sin. And he was pointing ahead to the time, to the moment, Right? of when God, he himself, would make the final and the ultimate sacrifice for sin. That his son would stand condemned in our place as our substitute. One sacrifice for all time. Right? God made the first sacrifice. God has made the last and final sacrifice. And so if you're already a follower of Jesus, right? And we ask the question, what does this mean for me? What do, what do I do with this? Well, if you're already a follower of Jesus Christ, this means that as we're reading this and we're walking through this, it's, God is inviting us. He's inviting you to rejoice. He's inviting you to celebrate in what Jesus Christ has already done on your behalf, right? Romans 5 is this clear reminder that in Christ, you are victorious. In Christ, you don't have to submit to Satan's temptations. When, when you do trust in yourself, when you do 
still resist God's leadership, you can confess that with assurance that you're forgiven in Jesus Christ. That in Christ, your life is characterized by trusting God and relying on him far more than you would ever rely on yourself. And in Christ, you now can tell other people about what Christ has done in you and what he can do in them as well. And so, you know, maybe, maybe one action that you might take is you might begin your day with a prayer of commitment, right? Maybe like before your feet even hit the floor that you would hand over leadership of your life for that day right? Like maybe you might spend time thanking God for saving you from sin, from, for Jesus stepping in as your substitute. Maybe you might ask him uh, to help you commit your thoughts, commit your will, commit your work, commit your footsteps to his purposes and his plan. You might hand over your worries to God before you even start your day. That might be a way you, you, that might be an action you might take. Some of you guys are going, oh, you just said morning, I'm out. I am not a morning person. Please don't ask me to do that. Well, maybe you're, maybe you're a person who, you know, you do better in the evening, right? Uh, you stay up late, and sometimes when you're staying up late, you get inundated and overruled with all of these thoughts about what tomorrow's gonna bring. And you think about all the worries of all the things you have yet to deal with, What's going to happen when I see this person? What's going to happen when I see that person? How am I going to handle this? What's going to blah, 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 right? All that stuff. And they haven't even happened yet. What if when that's going on, what if right in that moment you committed your next day to God? What if right then, right, all those worries that are consuming you, what if you turned those worries actually into prayers? That's what Philippians 4 talks about, right? Take your worries, the things that are weighing you down, and actually turn those into prayers where you hand those over to God, and say, you're the only really capable person who can do anything about this, so I'm going to trust you. And so instead of figuring out life on your own, like Adam and Eve did, you would make the intentional choice to lean into God through that. Maybe some of you are going, well, I'm not a follower of Christ. I haven't, it hasn't happened for me yet. What does that mean for me? Well, it means a couple of things. One, it means that until you put your faith in Jesus and his work for you, you're, you're, all you're doing is putting your hope in fig leaves. And when that one fails and dies, you've got to go find another one, right? Uh, it means that they're not going to save, those fig leaves are not going to save you from your separation from God. They're not going to solve your guilt, right? It also means you're still under slavery to sin and death. But, hear me on this, but the free gift is not like the trespass. That's what Paul is saying. And so, listen, Jesus' gift of new life, it is nothing like ordering something on Amazon and then something else shows up and it's not at all what you expected. There's no bait and switch. That's not what Jesus is like at all. See, what happens is Jesus promises, for, promises forgiveness and that's what he gives. Jesus makes the promise of new life and giving his spirit and putting it within you and that's what you get. And Jesus promises that this life in front of you it is not all that there is. And yes, it matters, but there's a future that you haven't even seen yet. And that's real. And that's what you get. Right? You have to know that. You have to see that. And that you can receive Jesus' gift of new life by grace. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ yet, you can start following Jesus Christ now. Like right now. 
And so I want you to imagine your life characterized by grace, your life characterized by freedom. I want you to imagine for a moment your shame and your guilt gone. I want you to imagine for just a moment living life under the good leadership of God your Father, knowing that even the most challenging moment with Him is far better than the most comfortable moment without Him. Imagine stepping into your purpose. Christ makes all of that a reality. I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We end every message with the same question, and it's simply this. Jesus, what are you saying to me right now? And I want to give you a moment to listen. Maybe for some of you, you're kind of asking this question, well, how do, I, how do I know if I'm ready to trust Jesus? Because you, you seem like you know. I don't know if I'm there, and how do I know, and how will I know? Well, here's a couple of questions I might ask you. Does your heart get excited when you hear about what Christ has done on your behalf? Is there like this kind of moment of when you think of what he's when you think about trusting him and what he's done do you have this sense within your spirit within your person that that what i'm sharing with you is is true and it's real do do you want jesus right how you answer those questions become really clear of when you're ready and when the holy spirit is inviting you to trust him and I want to encourage you to do this. If you're sensing all of those things and your answer to those questions are yes, man, I want you to say yes to him today. I want to encourage you to do that wherever you're at. And so, Father, I thank you for, for all of my friends here on location. I thank you for all of our friends online and in Bluffton. And I would just pray right now through the ministry of your Holy Spirit, nothing else, through the ministry of your Holy Spirit and the clarity of the gospel that you would invite people to say yes to Jesus' leadership in their lives, knowing that they will be transformed in Christ, that they were made to know you and to love you and to rely on you for all of eternity. God, we're so thankful for the grace you've shown us, and we bless your good and holy name. Lead us thoughtfully, followers of Christ, to share with others what you've accomplished which we couldn't do on our own. We ask all these things in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 9.09 or 11.11. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.